0: And before we begin our Torah strategy, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed reading this week's Torah portion with last week's sermon in mind, where we were looking at some of the unusual things that are revealed about what God likes, what he appreciates. For instance, uh, I raised the, the idea that God is actually a foodie. And this is based on uh, an exhaustive look at the scriptures. Actually, we looked at about four scriptures. I wouldn't call it exhaustive. But think about this. In Isaiah 25, the Lord says that he will prepare a meal. It's a banquet that we will be invited to. And it will be in Israel, as I understand, in Jerusalem. I think the Mount of Olives, I've been there. I hope it can hold us all. But he says that he is going to prepare it and he will be serving choice meats and fine aged wine isn't that interesting there may be some vegan options I don't know Um, I don't think that's the whole menu but he does say that he's going to be preparing that and then remember when Yeshua did his first public miracle what was it water into wine and it wasn't the cheap stuff it was the good stuff It was so good, people remarked, this is unusual. At the end, usually they bring out the stuff that's cheap because nobody can tell the difference if they've been drinking too much. And uh, instead, Yeshua made the very best wine, and people took note and said, this is extraordinary wine. So he's a foodie, he's a, um, a wine connoisseur, And and think about this. He cooked breakfast for Peter, right? After Yeshua was resurrected. He cooked him fish breakfast on the grill one morning up in the Galilee. And there is a fish up there that they call St. Peter's fish. And it is quite delicious, especially when it's cooked over fire. The best way to eat that fish. So we looked at that. We also looked at the fact that that the Lord is quite artistic. He's interested in color. He's a, he's a color-sensitive person. He is interested in materials, fine linen versus, um, for instance, the, the excellent tanning of leathers. And he knows the difference between all of those. He's interested in engraving arts, in jewelry design, He's, uh, he's quite the creative person. So all you Douglas Anderson folk, take, take heart because as you're learning to do excellence in uh, artistic work, you are becoming more and more like the Lord. And so I hope that, that it helps you read the scriptures, and I hope that you notice some details about what God loves when you were reading this week or when you do read this week's Torah portion, and that you pay attention to what he's interested in and what he values. Rabbi Uri has, always, has already introduced an idea that um, I, I want to focus on. The Lord pays attention to your service. He pays attention to your ministry, and he values faithful service. There's a scripture in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, that describes this. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your faithful service and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. The Lord won't forget. Let's say that. The Lord won't forget. He won't forget all the good things that you do from a loving desire to serve people in the name of the Lord. He won't forget. He's keeping track of it. Now, you might think, well, how do you know that he won't forget? Well, this week's Torah portion proves to us that he doesn't forget. It proves to us that he counts everything that you do in faithful service to him, and that he remembers it, and he keeps track of it. So with that in mind, let's turn to Exodus chapter 38. And we'll look at a passage verses uh, 22 through 31. And maybe you notice that this is all about accounting. And it may appear to you that the Lord is sometimes a numbers geek. But Let's look at this carefully. Exodus 38, starting in verse 22. Bezalel, the son of Uri, in Ukrainian you would say Yuri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made everything that the Lord ordered Moses to make. Assisting him was Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, who was an engraver, a designer, and a weaver in colors, in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and in fine linen. Okay, so you see he's keeping track of who's who at this moment, but there's more. All the gold used for the work in everything needed for the sanctuary, the gold of the offering, of the Teruma offering, weighed 29 talents, 730 shekels, and um, David Stern's calculation is that that is 1,930 pounds, almost a full ton, using the sanctuary shekel, not one of the other shekels, to measure. The silver given by the community weighed 100 talents, 1,775 shekels, which was 6,650 pounds. OK, how many tons is that? Three. Three plus. That's right. Three plus. There you go. Using the sanctuary shekel. This was a backup per person that is half a shekel, one-fifth of an ounce, using the sanctuary shekel for everyone 20 years old or older counted in the census. OK, now pay attention to this. Every one of these people was counted and tracked, and how many were there? 603,550. Not 549. You see, everyone counted, and everything counts. The hundred talents of silver were used to cast the sockets for the sanctuary, the sockets for the curtain, 100 sockets made from the hundred talents, one talent, 66 pounds per socket. The 1,775 shekels, which is 50 pounds, he used to make hooks for the post to overlay their capitals and to make fasteners for them. Now, many times people read this, and we're gonna read a little bit more, but they read this and their eyes glaze over and they just go, you know, blah, 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 And they turn the page as fast as they can and they see the words, but they don't really think about it. It's easy to do that, but I want to encourage you to think about it. Because imagine it was you who had served in this ministry at that time. It was you who had contributed for this ministry. That you had done something, and then imagine that you find out the Lord paid attention and he appreciated whatever you did, whether it was a small thing or a large thing. In fact, there's a detail in this chapter. It's a little bit earlier. It's in uh, Exodus 38, verse 8, that I find fascinating. It's, it's talking about the laver, the washstand um, that was made of bronze. And its base was made of bronze. And it says, that it was made from the mirrors, the mirrors of the women who served and assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now that is fascinating to me. There was a group of women. There's no other mention of this particular group of women. There's no no further elaboration on what they were doing. But here's what's so interesting the Lord paid attention and said, You know those women? Those women brought their mirrors, and mirrors were prized possessions. I mean, I think they still are. <laughs> the mirrors, you, you might ask yourself, Well, how would they use the mirrors? The mirrors were polished bronze. You see, that's what they were made of. They weren't made of silver. They weren't made of glass. They were made of bronze that was highly polished <coughs> and very reflective. And they were considered prized possessions. To have a fine mirror was to really own something. And these women, these women brought their mirrors as their taruma offering. And it wasn't just one of them that did it. There was like this group of women who were... Distinguished in the eyes of the Lord because they serve together. They serve together at the sanctuary, at the at the place of meeting. They had that habit of coming together. There are some women who come together and they serve in the hospitality ministry with ONEGs. There are women who come together and pray with men, but pray consistently. There are women who are doing all sorts of service, and I want to tell you this, the Lord's paying attention. The Lord knows. Who's really who's consistent here? And he says, well, there was this group of women, they really got my attention. And you might be one of those people who says, well, I don't think I really get the Lord's attention. You do. Your service is counted by the Lord. He pays attention, and he keeps track just like the writer of Hebrews says, and just like Moses is saying here, he is not only appreciating the numbers and the accounting, he himself is able to count and say, you know, that person really did something special. Let's go back to Exodus 38, verse 29. The bronze in the offering came to 4,680 pounds. He used it to make the sockets for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the bronze altar, its bronze grate, all the utensils for the altar, the sockets for the courtyard around it, the sockets for the gateway to the courtyard, all the tent pegs for the tabernacle, and all the tent pegs for the courtyard around it. So I think it's really interesting. We can say that the Lord is keeping track, don't you think? He's keeping track, and you'll read in the Scriptures, not just in this account, but in many accounts, he singles out someone who did something. And he says, you know, that person, remember the the time that widow brought the tiniest of coins and made an offering at at the temple? And Yeshua, Yeshua saw her and thought, now that woman is incredible. And he honored her. And he said, what she gave counts more than you could imagine because she gave everything that she had. And it was small, but it was everything she had. And Yeshua thought, this is unbelievable. There are so many times in the scriptures, there's a time when, The centurion is identified as a man who loves the Jewish people. He loves the nation. And he built a synagogue from his own pocket for the Jewish people. And the Lord pays attention to that. The whole Jewish community in his city paid attention to that. But the Lord paid attention because when a representative from that centurion came to Yeshua and said, Could you come and pray? Yeshua was ready to meet this man and then ready to pray for him. He was ready to pray and even to go visit him at his house, uh, which was unusual at the times for an Israelite to go into a Roman officer's home to pray or to even have fellowship. But the Lord paid attention to that person. The Lord recognized that person and wanted to show his kindness and his love. Well, let's go to Exodus 39, verse 24. I find this interesting because it turns out that the Lord has some fashion preferences. This is for the uh, high priests. On the bottom hem of their garments, the priests, they made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet and woven linen. So let me ask you a question. What is the color of a pomegranate normally? It's a deep red, red, right? And so the Lord's playing with color here. Isn't that interesting? So if you think the Lord's only interested in perfect representational art, uh uh-uh. He's a little bit more creative than that. Verse 25, they made bells of pure gold and I like, the, I like the way Stern draws this out. They made bells of pure gold, and they put the bells between the pomegranates all the way around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates. That is bell pomegranate. Bell pomegranate. All the way around the hem of the robe for service as... What does it say? Uh-huh. Who came up with the design? The Lord. The Lord said, I I got this idea. It's going to be beautiful. I'll show it to you. You get the right people to do it. I'm going to love it. (laughs) Now let's go to verse 42 in the same chapter. Exodus 39, verse 42. The people of Israel did all the work. Isn't that interesting? Let's just say this all the work, just as the Lord had ordered Moses. Moses saw all the work. (laughs) And here, the Hebrew is uh, just one word, it's hine, which could be translated into English like behold or look. But I like the way Stern translates it. There it was. (laughs) <laughs> there it was. They'd done it. Exactly as the Lord had ordered, they'd done it, and Moses blessed them. The Lord showed Moses some kind of vision or picture of the heavenly temple, and said, now now, you make like uh the best duplicate you can make of that here. And Moses did it. Moses was not the originator. You could sort of say he was the builder or he was the architect, perhaps. And when you think of him being the architect, then you can think of Yeshua as being an architect, not just a carpenter. Uh, The word tekton, which is the Greek for that's translated carpenter, can also be translated builder. And this was at a time when the builder was the one who who came up with the plan and actually created the structure, which is why the scripture says the builder is greater than the house he builds. Because he's the one who comes up with it all and then makes it into reality and makes it happen. So, not only did Moses do some building, Yeshua does building as well. And he is really the, the great builder. Well, with this in mind, I, w- I, wanna, I wanna build on something. I wanna build on an idea. It's not just about ministry, it's really about life. And it has to do with, um, with what you could call the power of one or the power of a few. And I want to go back to a passage that we didn't look carefully at uh, a few weeks ago. It's in Exodus 32. Just a few verses. Exodus 32, 1 through 6. And to set the scene, Moses has gone up to the mountain. He's, he's been on the mountain receiving the tablets of Torah from the Lord and having... Uh, a 40-day experience with the Lord that is profound. But while he's gone, things deteriorate. And the people of Israel are led astray, and they want to use art incorrectly. Now, what's also interesting is we meet Bezalel, the great artist who is filled with the Spirit prior to this, and we see him again after this, but he's totally absent from this incident. He's apparently uninvolved in this. He's a man full of the Spirit who's using his artistic abilities faithfully and in service to God, not only making religious motifs, but doing abstract art, doing Uh, you know, creative endeavors of many different kinds. But when it comes to the sculpture and uh, um, the, the casting of the golden calf, Bezalel has no presence there. He has nothing to do with it. And I think there's a reason for that absence. It's because he's identified as a man of the spirit who's full of wisdom, and he has a wise heart, the scripture says. He has understanding, he has knowledge, and he has skill, and he has a heart for the Lord. So he's a great creator, he's a great um, organizer, he's a great leader, but he doesn't get pulled into what Aaron gets pulled into. And Aaron famously collects all this gold and And then, when he's in trouble and has to give an account to Moses, you know, Moses says, You know, what did they do to you to force you into this? And he said, Oh, there were so many people. And you know how they are. And they were just pressuring me. So I I took all the gold and I threw it into the fire, and this golden calf came out. Which is interesting um, if you are artistic, because there is no association with good artistry and that act. This is something else. Even though it's craftsmanship that was used, it's not even detailed out. It's like an accident of rebellion rather than an act of creation. So it says, with that in mind, Exodus 32 verse 1, now when the people saw that Moses was slow, he was delayed in coming down from the mountain they gathered around Aaron and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And so Aaron told them, take off the gold earrings that are on your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And then all the people took off their gold earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands and with an engraving tool, He fashioned it into into a molded calf. And they said, O Israel, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before the calf and proclaimed, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they arose and they offered burnt offerings and they presented peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and then they got up to indulge in revelry, which suggests immorality. Now, Exodus 32, verse 19. Moses is warned by the Lord, you've got to go down there and see what's going on. And he comes down from the mountain, and it says, as Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, and he smashed them at the base of the mountain. And then he took the calf they had made. He burned it in the fire, he ground it into powder, and he scattered the powder over the face of the water, and then he forced the Israelites to drink it. Now, as you read on, you'll see that there was a judgment that followed. And it was such a serious offense, this idolatry, that it resulted in the death of 3,000 people who had been involved in this. 3,000 people paid with their lives. And I want to focus on that number for just a moment because it sounds like a lot, but I want you to think about it another way. There were likely several million people there. It only took 3,000 people to lead them astray. Some say only 3,000 were actually guilty of this, plus Aaron. Others say there were just 3,000 who continued to resist Moses when he rebuked everyone about the sin. And uh, the, the scriptures doesn't give any further um, explanation. But in either case, I want to focus on something. It was 3,000 people who led the nation astray. Think about that. 3,000 people have the potential to turn millions in a terrible direction. In fact, what we read from Moses coming down is it only took one person to turn it back around. It only took one person, Moses, to lead the nation back to the Lord. And so think about this. One person can make the difference, the whole difference. One person. Moses did. But then think about it. Two people can change history for the better. Two midwives changed everything in Egypt. And then think about this. 120 people can change everything. That's how many disciples of Yeshua stayed together in Jerusalem until Shavuot and waited for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And then they began bringing the good news in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, which is the West Bank, and to the uttermost, uttermost parts of the world. And though it didn't include Jacksonville at the time, Jacksonville would be part of the uttermost because we are quite far away from Israel. And Jacksonville didn't even exist as a, as a city, if you think about it. And I, I've noticed that sometimes when people are looking at the situation across the world today, or they're looking at what's happening in other countries, or even in the U.S. Congress, um, you could be disheartened by the anti-Semitism that you're seeing in these days. You could be disheartened disheartened by the anti-Zionism, by the hatred of Jews and the hatred of Israel, and you could think, oh, there are so many. What can we do? And I just want to tell you, don't give up. It may only take one to turn things around. It may take two. It may take 120. It may only be that there are 3,000 who are leading the charge in the wrong direction. Remember this it may get down to one person who's planning evil. Wasn't that the message of Purim? It was Haman. One person. And it was one person who stood up with moral courage who defeated the evil plans. It was Esther. It took one person. Now that one person had help, Mordecai. They had help. All the Jews of Shushan were fasting and praying together for three days. Everyone had a part that day. But I want to encourage you, don't think you're powerless. You count. In the same way that your ministry counts, you count. Everyone counts. Do you remember Esther thought, I don't really count. I'm in a pretty safe place. They don't even know I'm Jewish. Mordecai said, oh, you count all right. And here's the deal. If you don't do your part, God will raise up somebody else, but you won't be safe. Don't think you're going to be protected. It'll cost you your life. It may cost your whole family. I see that many good-hearted people are silent these days. They aren't extremists, but they're afraid of being called extremists. They aren't haters, but they're afraid of being called haters. And so I think we need to be wise-hearted and full of the Spirit of God and be courageous and be strong. And we have to equip ourselves. We have to learn how to stand up against anti-Semitism. We have to learn how to stand up against anti-Zionism. We have to learn how to stand up against those who hate life and are pursuing evil. And those who have murderous agendas, we need to be courageous about and stand up and speak our peace. Peace. This is the season that we're in. We're getting ready for Purim. And you can take your grogger and make your noise, and you can eat your Hamintosha, and we can have a good time, and we should. Because when all is said and done, the Lord wins, and we should have that expectation of joy that colors all of the trials and challenges we go through. However, there's more to it. It's time to be courageous. It's time to be bold. Don't... Don't fall in the trap of trying to use um, shouting matches to get your point across. You won't. If you're yelling at each other, you're probably not even listening to each other. But if you equip yourself the way Bezalel was equipped. Now, he was an artist, but think about it. He was full of the Spirit, Yes? full of the Holy Spirit. He had wisdom. He had understanding. He had knowledge, and he had skill. All of those things. If you're going to communicate to people who don't agree with you, or are undecided, or uninformed, or ignorant, you need all those things. You can't just yell louder at people. If you've ever tried to communicate to, to um people who speak a different language but a little bit of English. You may have been tempted, almost everyone is, to speak more slowly but much more loudly. As if you could raise the volume and now these words would be understandable to you. It doesn't work. You have to learn enough vocabulary. You have to learn how to use the tools of communication, including body language and facial expressions and all the nonverbal cues that you can use to communicate. You have to learn how to use that in order to communicate well to people. So I think between now and, and Purim and maybe, in the weeks to come, we've got to equip ourselves a little bit more. We've got to learn how to effectively communicate uh, about anti-Semitism. How to recognize the new anti-Semitism. How to communicate about why we love Israel and support Israel. If the only way you know how to do that is biblically, that's good for a small portion of people. The people who agree with how you read the Bible. Not even all believers We'll read the Bible the same way. And so just using the Bible won't cause you to win everybody, uh, much less all believers as well. But to learn other arguments based on shared values and based on historic relations, as an example, it's important to be equipped. Now, you may say, I don't need to be equipped. I'm just going to trust the Lord. Well, trusting the Lord means getting equipped. Do you understand that? You do when it comes to brain surgery. If you have a need for brain surgery, you really want a skillful, well-prepared surgeon, right? And if someone says, I think I can do it. I'm just gonna trust the Lord. You know better than that. In the same way, when we're dealing with flashpoint issues in our society today, issues that are difficult to communicate about and have complexities to them. Um, We have to learn, we have to gain knowledge and we have to have wisdom as well and we have to have good hearts and we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we prepare ourselves, we will become effective with many more people than we would otherwise. So I wanna tell you, chazak, be strong, Have good courage, remember, one of Yeshua's favorite things to say was something like this. Don't be afraid, take courage. Take heart. I love this one thing, one translation says, Yeshua said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Your faith counts, your courage counts, your loving service and acts of kindness count. Every one of you counts. And everything you can do counts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you don't forget. We thank you that you're not unjust, that you do remember faithful service. You remember our names. You remember the things that we do in love, in service to your people, to help them, to show your kindness to them. You do not forget such things. And Lord, I pray for those who feel forgotten that you would just deliver them from that, that they would no longer hold on to this idea that they don't count, they count to you. And Lord, I pray for everyone who's minimized their own sense of responsibility and influence and power. And I pray that they would say, I do count and I can have an effect. I can make a difference. Give us courage, give us strength, give us power for these days that many would hear and receive the good news and be saved during this corrupt generation. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. if you're by yourself, if you don't mind moving so that you're not by yourself, that would be great. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Hey, before we go, congratulate Mike Gordon. He is now officially retired.